0: old-timey, crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Amber. I'm Joel. Joel is our good friend and a patron of the show. I'm glad I'm a good friend before a patron. Well, that was the order of things. You were a good yeah. friend long before you were a patron. So. As I said last time, I was we were friends before I knew what a podcast was. <laughs> exactly. I think before I knew what a podcast was. <laughs> yep, yep. So, so yes, we are here this week with We've got some old-timey crimes, we've got some old-timey ads, we've got some old-timey weird stuff, and some old-timey recipes, and those last two categories are kind of just one circle in a Venn diagram. So really, when it comes down to it, we're going to have a little contest to see who can gross out the most with a recipe from the old-timey times, and it's going to be really fun and gag-inducing.
1: Hooray! Yay! We've got
0: some contributions from a stalwart listener, that is Kelsey, who we mentioned last week. She gave us a couple of articles and she's going to be participating in the recipe gross out contest. Hooray! (laughs) Hooray! So before we get to all that, you like this show? I mean, you're listening, right? Yeah? We're in your ears? We should be in your ears more. And the way that we can be in your ears more is if you go over to patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey and sign up for the Patreon only five bucks a month and you get five bonus episodes every month. One each week and then finally at the end of the month we put out the big monthly extra extra. So you really should give that a try even if you just come over and you know you get a month's worth of material and then you you drop out. That's fine. You still have have given to us and we very much appreciate it. And so uh, this week for the bonus episode I told Amber and Joel all about a couple named Mabel and Dusty Rhodes. It was a tale of two Mabels. <laughs> two Mabels and a Myrtle, in fact. Although the Myrtle was a little less active.
2: <laughs> it was kind of like if the Looney Tunes were super dark.
0: <laughs> super dark, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> If the things that Wiley e. Coyote bought from Acme were a little bit more lethal. And he didn't just pop right back up again.
1: That's yeah, the there, was, there was no popping back up.
0: No, no, there was not. So I think you guys seem to find that pretty interesting. Joel figured out the crime and how it was, uh, how it was done pretty early and got very excited. Yeah, I got real excited <laughs> real
2: quick when I was like,
0: oh, this and this. That's how it happened. I know and how it happened. <laughs> and that was one of my things was I was excited because this is a method of committing a crime that we haven't seen before. And that's all I'm going to say. To have firsts. We keep on having firsts continually. And after over 150 episodes plus over 100 bonus episodes, it's kind of amazing to me. It still keeps things fresh, you know? Yeah, yeah. People will just not run out of finding ways to murder people, really. And and that gives us hope. Well, (laughs) at the very least, it gives us material. It does give us material, yes. So speaking of, we're going to start with a couple of old-timey ads. I found one that is going to piss Amber
1: right the hell off. Oh good, let's start here.
0: (laughs) Yes, this was in 1921 in the San Francisco Chronicle. And the title of the ad is For Your Better Health. Then it has a picture of a woman kind of sitting in a lounge chair reading maybe a book or newspaper or holding onto something. It's kind of hard, but surgical and maternity corsets. (laughs) A correct corset is essential to the health of the prospective mother. Our lady attendant will fit you so comfortably in either a surgical or maternity corset that you will not be conscious of restraint. What? I
2: mean, surgical corset, like, if you had, like, bowel surgery, maybe that would make sense, but maternity
0: corset? You've already got a baby squishing all the organs around and moving things around. Let's squish it in some more, how about?
1: Oh my god. What? It, oh. <laughs>
0: Amber's speechless. That's not good for an audio medium.
1: <laughs> oh, but, but, like,
0: you... Wh- why? Oh, my God. Oop. Like... <laughs> I just spilled my tea into my water. That's okay. That's all right.
1: more <laughs> flavor. It. It's more flavor, yes. More flavor. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just thinking about, like crushing babies to death while they're still inside of you. No wonder there were so many infant deaths. <laughs> right, I just,
0: well, There was a picture, and I was just kind of curious, yeah, it's but it's not to, interesting. It's hard to see. I think she's holding up a corset, but she's sitting in a chair that is obscuring much of what she's looking at in the picture. And then in that same ad, they also are advertising abdominal belts for abdominal weaknesses such as obesity, tumors, appendicitis, and rupture operations. And then they have a whole list of other medical items that you can get. Invalid chairs, electric vibrators, Ooh. baby bath sets. Trust it. Yeah, I'm not going to breeze right past that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's only one thing I'm buying from that company, and it is not the, the pregnancy
0: corset. Yeah, there's no explanation of exactly what the electric vibrator is. It just says electric vibrators. I don't know if it's some sort of massage thing or if it's some sort of massage
1: thing. Why not both? Because back in the day, do you remember? We've done this before. Doctors we, used to provide orgasms to women. We, we haven't done that before. We've talked about it. I think we should specify. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it for
0: yourself.
1: Yeah, true. But they used to, like, if, if a woman was uh, acting out, you would go to the doctor and, and they would give you an orgasm so you would act right. Because Lord knows this still happens to me today. And if you want me to act right, you, you got some work to do. <laughs> well,
0: apparently the husbands weren't doing the work. It was either the doctor or the electric vibrator. And he was booked solid. <laughs> yeah. the, the hilarious thing was I was telling Jackson about this ad. And when I said electric vibrators, he did a little like shiver dance. He was like, ugh. And I'm like, what? And he's like, just the idea of having some old timey electrical device up against my balls. And I'm like, why are you picturing this against your balls? How did this happen? Where, how do we get from A to,
1: you know... Maybe he's trying to give you a hint. <laughs> maybe. maybe.
0: But only if it's old-timey. <laughs> yeah. They also have, uh, you know, your standards, crutches, baby scales, rubber sheeting, and whatever the hell a violet ray is.
2: It's probably some sort of quackery, ultraviolet or something, rays, like,
0: quackery.
1: Yeah, yeah. Probably. Rubber sheeting is not a bad idea, though. I
0: mean, that that could be a, a supply you might need for invalids or if you're using that electric vibrator real hard.
1: Um, so, Amber, you have uh, an I, ad? I was on the second one, yeah. Um, all right, so I'm actually dedicating mine to a friend of mine and new friend of the show, Paul. So all of my stuff came out of Connecticut. So hi, Paul. Hi,
0: Paul. Hi,
1: Paul. So this is from the Norwich Bulletin, November 13th, 1912. This ad just tickled me. And I'm going to read you the poem before I tell you what it's for. Okay. Hans thought it over, and more and more, it seemed to him but fair that little folks in other lands Van Houten's joys should share. So taking leave of Holland's shore, he crossed the ocean blue and brought sweet Rona to your door so you might share it too. Uh, No, no, please don't, Hans, please don't. So this is for Rona Coco. A half pound tins at 25 cents. (laughs) (laughs) So we can blame Holland. Finally,
0: someone to blame.
1: They brought sweet Rona to our door and I made poppies for them. (laughs) Thank you.
0: That is going up on the bulletin board. Yes, and it's from the Norwich bulletin, so that's perfect.
1: Yes, so Holland brought us sweet Rona. It's
0: always hard to tell whether they just had a hard time with the coloration. Or if it's a very racist ad. <laughs> exactly, It yes. could
1: go either way, but it's from Holland, so I'm assuming that that little Dutch boy is, is, uh, just didn't print out right. <sighs> that's,
0: that's something, man. I found an interesting case of, uh, I call the competing undertakers. Ooh. And this was in Kingston, Ontario. Almost all of mine are from the 20s, so this is 1921, and it seemed like from the ads, because they had a, a, a section of, you know, the, the advertisements that was just undertakers. They all were on the same street. It was like the Undertaker Street, except it was Princess Street was the actual <laughs> name. So you can find your undertakers on Princess Street. Okay. Wonderfully incongruous. And so you had James Reed, the old firm of undertakers at 254 and 256 Princess Street, so it says phone 147 for ambulance. We learned long, long ago that uh, in many places in the old timey times, there was not a dedicated, you know, EMT station or anything like that. It was you called the undertaker and you got the ambulance from there. And then Robert J. Reed spelled exactly the same. The leading undertaker at 230 Princess Street. And I can't help but wonder if, you know, James Reed, the old firm of Undertakers, is the father? And Robert might be even Robert James Reed? I was hoping
2: they were brothers for some reason. Oh,
0: that's a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Robert J. Reed would maybe be the son, the brother, whatever. And he's the leading Undertaker. I love the passive-aggressive placement of that advertisement. I'm almost positive that Robert J. Reed requested that specifically. Like he paid an (laughs) extra nickel for that. Exactly, yes. And both of them are still there. But not in the same locations. They're not on Princess Street. They're on, like, streets going off of Princess Street. So there's some, some nice, like, cafes and such in the buildings where the Undertakers used to be. Oh, It happens. Yeah, it happens. I thought this was fun. People would put, actually, in the want ads, if they wanted to trade for something, they would say, well, I have this piano, and I'll trade it for a donkey. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. They're very specific sometimes. And this was one case where I was like, you two uh, could just talk to each other and save each other the time and money on the ads. So for exchange, corner lot, 106 by 120, substantial seven room house, bath, and all modern conveniences, five large walnut trees, almond trees, all kinds of fruit, will exchange for smaller place. And then right underneath it. For exchange, well-improved 168-acre farm. Central Minnesota would consider Pomona property in Orange Grove. Uh So you could just trade those. <laughs> it's really
2: interesting how like they used to sell houses based on number of rooms and not number of bedrooms.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. And I don't know how it is in other places, but I know our realtor explained to us once how uh some of the houses in our area, why they're built the way they're built, is because they would be assessed for, for property taxes based on number of, of rooms. And so you would have like bedrooms connected to each other. Captive bedrooms. Exactly. So then you only have, you know, three instead of four.
2: Yeah, it's technically one room.
0: Yeah. Yeah, rip out all the walls. One room house. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I will pay one dollar in taxes for my one room house.
1: Ha 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 ha. I have some testimony for you. And I don't care about the rest of the case, because really it was this testimony that I enjoyed. So this is in Cambridge, Massachusetts, March 24th of 1910. This afternoon, Seymour Glover, the only brother befitting by the will, said that his brother had frequent little squabbles with his wife, but he saw nothing in her conduct that would have necessitated his brother protecting himself from her. The witness admitted after much questioning that he had said that there were times when he himself felt like shooting mrs glover but that was when she spoke of his mother and father he never said that mrs glover was guilty of the murder although he might have said that he had a suspicion that she had a hand in it and that she might be capable of it oh well Hmm. so i don't know what happened there i don't want to know what happened there (laughs) i'm happy with just that i thought of killing her myself i don't even know who died (laughs) I'm
2: not sure Like did she do the murdering? Was she murdered?
1: I'm really not sure And I kind of don't want to know I'm very happy with just that piece (laughs) I
0: have here a lawsuit that was filed And it was in Hackensack, New Jersey A jury before Justice W.W. Cutler In the circuit court today Returned a verdict of $8,000 For Mrs. Florence Waller In her suit for $50,000 Against her father-in-law William E. Waller for alienating the affections of her 20 year old husband, Donald Waller. Now, the amount that she got, 8,000 is 120,000 today. Wow. And that, so that 50K that she was actually asking for would be 700,000. Wow. Yeah. It was testified by Mrs. Waller that when she was a cashier in the store of her father-in-law at Rutherford, New Jersey and married Donald, she won the ire of the Waller family. She said that the last time she saw Donald was when he called at the hospital to see her and their newly born baby. Wow. Yeah. And she had enough time to file a lawsuit, so it's been a while.
1: Okay. Hartford, Connecticut. Thomas Kennedy, saloon keeper at 31 Shelton Street, was arrested on a technical charge of assault and held under $1,000 worth of bonds to await the result of injuries he inflicted on Edward Wynn. By hitting him on the head with a bottle. Wynne is in St. Francis Hospital and is not expected to recover. Uh Uh-oh. That'll turn into a murder charge. That was a
0: really hard strike with a bottle. I mean, it can do it if you hit the right place.
1: Which apparently he did, as a barkeeper, knew how to hit with a bottle.
0: (laughs) Here is the case of a 19-year-old woman who has uh, lived more in those years than some of us have at twice as many years. (laughs) Now 19, Clara Wilson married three times. Plans appeal to Supreme Court in effort to regain child. Married the first time when 11 years old and twice since... uh... 19 year- old Clara Wilson is disappointed over the decree of Judge Ephraim Hansen in the district court a few days ago which gave her four-year-old daughter into the custody of Mr. and Mrs. Herbert R sad they are sad I'd like to kidnap my baby Clara said when the court refused to restore the baby to her. Why don't you just put that right out there in, in the court in the record make, make sure that the uh, the stenographer heard that Did you get that down? I'd like to kidnap my baby I want I want this on the record. I would have taken her before this if my attorney hadn't told me to wait until the court decided. We're going to appeal because I must get her back. I'd do anything to have her. The baby was 19 months old when Clara, then 15, and living with her second husband, consented that it be taken by Mr. and Mrs. Sad. I was sick, Clara explains, and my husband didn't want the baby. There wasn't anything else for me to do but let her go to some family that would care for her. I thought it was only temporary, and since I had been... Married to Bert Wilson, we have done everything to get her back. Even planned to try to kidnap her, but we never did. It just admits to planning, at least. So she's going to get, like, a conspiracy charge, too. I mean, she's really walking that line. So the uh, they were trying to restore the baby to the mother, and then they were going to appeal it, and then they go a little bit into her, uh, her history. Now, they have little subtitles, subheadings in the articles, and the subheading of this section is Love Affair at 11.
1: Uh-huh. Let's
0: all throw up together, please. Bleah. In, bleah, in unison. When she was 11 years old, a child in knee dresses still playing with dolls, Clara had her first quote unquote love affair with her 18 year old lover. She started to elope, but her sister interfered, and she was forced to return to her mother living at that time at Thermopolis, Wyoming. The mother refused to give her consent, but later yielded and wrote a note of consent, giving the girl's age as 16.
1: Oh, yuck.
0: So, yeah, it's uh, it's not pretty at all. Not pretty at all. That's gross. Do you have a, a palate cleanser or something to make us feel worse?
1: Um, yes, okay. So, uh, I actually have three little ones, and they were all jammed together, which I enjoyed very much. New Haven, Connecticut, March 24th of 1910... At a meeting of the local board of education tonight, it was voted to separate the sexes in the local high schools. The boys will attend in the morning, and the girls will have afternoon sessions. This is the first time in the history of the state that a separation of boys and girls has been made in this manner. And I'm like, wow, that really wasn't that long ago. No, not at all.
2: Too much boot knocking, maybe?
1: I don't know. And right underneath that, we have Postmaster Forging Orders. This was in Colorado. Harry Kelly, Postmaster... Was uh, charged with having obtained between three and four thousand dollars by issuing post office orders to his wife and his creditors. (laughs) The orders, signed by Kelly, were honored by the banks and post offices, and that's how he was paying his bills by forging post orders. And then your palate cleanser, at least I think, at least for Joel, teeth knocked out by baseball bat. An indoor baseball team from the electrical workers was expected at the armory Thursday evening to play one of the military teams, but the electric men did not put in an appearance. In their absence, two teams were picked up playing a game for which Sergeant Bruder was umpire. The teams lined up, and then uh, at some point, somebody threw a baseball bat right into the sergeant's face.
2: (laughs) They mustn't have liked him.
1: No, so so I, apparently he was acting as umpire and somebody had thrown the bat and yeah. it caught him full in the mouth on the lower jaw, knocked out several of his lower teeth and loosened some of the upper ones. You're, you're giving me flashbacks to
0: um, gym class in high school when I did just that, uh, minus at least the teeth being knocked out, but I did uh, hit somebody in the head. And, yeah, I, I ran to first base because I was like, yeah, I hit the ball. But when I got so excited that I threw the bat and I got to first base and I was like, there's not even anybody here. What's happening? And I look and everybody's crowding around the, the you person that should have gone like, to second. I really should have gone to second. I should have taken advantage, but I'm not that right. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be thinking about that at, at 3 a.m. tonight. Thank you for that. I appreciate it.
1: Well, there is also an ad here and I couldn't help myself. Face and scalp massage, shampooing, and manicuring. Orders taken for combings. Any guess as to what the picture is? Uh... It's a foot. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Literally a cartoon drawing of a foot. Face and scalp massage. And I'm like, do they do it with the feet? Why? Like, what is even happening here? But yes, it's literally a uh, face and scalp massage and a foot. Wow. Okay, then. That's, that's interesting uh, illustrated
0: choices. So we have here a, a man named Harry Von Tilzer. He was actually born Aaron Gumbinsky, and he was also known as Harry Gum. Uh, he ran away from home and joined a traveling circus at age 14, where he adopted his mother's maiden name, Von Tilzer as his own, seeking to make it sound even classier by tacking on a Vaughn. I think this is from Wikipedia, if I remember correctly, because I wanted to get a little background on this guy before we actually talked about what happened. So impressive seemed the transformation that eventually all of his brothers changed their last name to match his. Now, uh, he was a music publisher, and uh, his brother apparently had a little rough going at one point in time in the 20s. Jules von Tiltzer, music publisher and brother of Harry von Tiltzer, songwriter, is suffering today from a stab wound in the back inflicted while he was asleep. His wife, Estelle, is in jail, charged with attacking him. Mrs. von Tilzer, according to the police, admitted she stabbed her husband with a sharp table knife. I'm sorry I did not kill him, she told the police. Von Tilzer's wound is not serious. And uh, one thing about Harry Tilzer, the songwriter brother of this stabbing victim, Is that he was the composer of a song called Under the Anheuser-Busch, which was commissioned by the Anheuser-Busch Brewing Company in 1903 and became a popular beer garden song. So here's some of the lyrics. Come 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 and make eyes with me under the Anheuser-Busch. Come come drink some Budweiser with me under the Anheuser-Busch. Hear the old German band just let me hold your hand. yeah. do, do, come have a stein or two under the anheuser Bush. I mean, it's catchy?
2: I guess. <laughs> I mean, I just don't want to drink a Budweiser because of it. No, no,
0: it doesn't. I mean, I don't doesn't... want to drink a Budweiser, but I don't, like, that ad didn't make me want
1: one. It didn't change anything for yeah. you,
0: really. <laughs> What do you have next, Amber? You look like you got something.
1: I do. And like, I'm trying to find a way to shorten this because I don't want to read the whole article, but it was the Miller divorce testimony finished. And this was apparently a whole thing. The Millers were insane and would just keep trying to kill each other. And that's what the entire divorce trial was about. And then them saying, no, I didn't. So there was a, a witness that testified that the missus threw milk on the mister and the mister removed her from the room but did not hit her. And she testified for quite a while to many objections, apparently this went on for hours, that she did not try to stab him with a pitchfork while he was hiding in the hay. And like all sorts of crazy things like that, which was glorious. But it, their divorce was granted in the end. One would hope. One I feel like hope.
2: Dusty Rhodes should have taken a note from him, from them. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. If, if, if worse comes to worse, just just divorce instead of, you know, like, going to extreme measures. And I, I don't believe her one bit that she didn't try to stab him while he was hiding in the hay with a pitchfork. That's beautiful. He was hiding in the hay. Why was he hiding in the hay? Maybe cause she was chasing him with a pitchfork. I'm just going to guess. I'm just going to throw that out
1: there. <laughs> she declared that she never went into the haymo and jabbed the pitchfork into it looking for Gordon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have a wonderful image in my head. It's beautiful. Oh, she's just so viciously stashed. She
1: also never tried to strike her husband with a chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
0: gosh. I, re- I want to play a game of I never with this woman. <laughs> or never have I ever. <laughs> oh, she's <laughs> getting <laughs> drunk.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's amazing. She never tried to push him down the stairs. He ought not to have hit her, but she did not try to push him down the stairs.
0: I, uh, I think we've got another Dr. Seuss book here. I did not hit him with a chair. I did not push him down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy they got divorced. <laughs> Me too. That sounds like it was good for everyone, both them and anyone within, you know, a several mile radius of them. I have a very strange one here that, that definitely the headline caught my eye. Hypnotic control blamed as ex-major kills Broker. So, this was in Montreal, brooding over the belief that an evil spell had been cast over him by William Holland, former secretary of the Montreal Stock Exchange, Robert Griffiths, a former major in the Canadian Army, shot Holland to death." So, Griffiths went to the brokerage office where Holland was a manager, And Griffiths was obsessed with the idea that Holland had obtained complete mental control over him. He complained that he was so far under Holland's control that he could not sleep if Holland were awake and active. Griffiths said he had long tried by mental concentration to break the hypnotic spell, but failed. Ladies and gentlemen, I think we have some very clear mental illness here. And also, how are you able to go shoot someone if they have complete mental control over you? It doesn't make sense. You should automatically be like, well, I can't do that because they have control over
1: me. It, One would think. But yes. logic
0: doesn't always factor in there. So Griffiths was declared insane about a year ago after heavy losses in stock speculation. So I think we're kind of getting an idea of what the relationship was between him and the broker that he killed. While being taken to an insane asylum, he escaped and created a sensation by his queer antics in the streets of Toronto. Boy, is that whole sentence problematic. <laughs> After a period of incarceration, he was released as cured. Nope, nope, I'm going to say no on that. No. They did not have medication. Yeah, really, and even there were warnings. One of Holland's friends told the police that Holland had informed him of death threats from Griffith. It is presumed by Griffith's friends that he was suffering a recurrence of mental aberration when the shooting took place. And so Griffiths is 45 years old and unmarried. Holland, the victim, was survived by a widow and 10 children. And then following that up a little bit just to get a, a handle on exactly what happened, uh, less than two months later, Major R.W. Griffiths found to be insane. He was found unfit by reason of insanity to stand trial for murder and will therefore be confined until instructions as to his future are received from the lieutenant governor. It seemed like that relationship did not go well,
1: <laughs> that, that business relationship. Speaking of a business relationship... This is February of 1912 in New York. The discovery today of the mutilated body of Joseph Bruno in a vacant lot in East New York, police recognized as another case of vengeance. There were ten knife slashes in the face, ten terrible wounds in the body, and uh, his tongue was cut out.
0: Oh, I hate that. Oh.
1: The murder was due to Bruno having talked more than his friends relished because we don't talk about Bruno. (laughs) Really, the only reason I wanted that one was so I could say we don't talk about Bruno. There you go.
2: (laughs) That's a reference I need to research because I don't get it.
1: You haven't seen Encanto? No. I'm going to play you the song when we break because I do have the soundtrack on my phone. (laughs) I have one, uh,
0: another one that Joel's going to like from the 1921 Pomona Progress. Joel, you want to go ahead and read that headline?
2: (laughs) Policeman is robbed in court.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Seattle. It's tough when a policeman isn't safe from thieves, even when in court, remarked patrolman Pat Kenyon today as he applied for a new streetcar pass. He said a pickpocket lifted his wallet containing $50 passes and complimentary theater tickets while he was attending police court. (laughs) I love whoever did that. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just the audacity to walk into police court and then steal from a policeman. I like it. It it, it, it took some uh, uh, fortitude. Some fortitude, yes. Somebody really likes their adrenaline. and they're They're going to lengths to get it.
1: New Haven, Connecticut. A policeman called at number 79 Lennox Street today to inquire the identity of a Frederick Halil for whom he had unpaid personal tax. Mrs. Halil answered the door. You'll have some trouble in getting Frederick Halil, she remarked to the officer, but I have a warrant for him for not paying his personal tax. Well, welcome in. Come on in. This is Frederick as she points To a four-week-old baby in the cradle, the officer returned the warrant unserved to the city attorney. I
2: mean, that could have played out a lot worse. He could have been like, he's under arrest.
1: I don't have cuffs this tiny.
0: Even nowadays, sometimes occasionally you'll see a case pop up where a woman is served for child support on a baby in like another state and she's never even given birth. She's like, I've I've never been married. I've never given birth. I I would have noticed. (laughs) I would have noticed it coming out. I'm pretty sure.
1: When I was 16, I had on my credit report that I had a mortgage, but I was on time with all my payments. So I kind of just let that go because it was helping build a credit score. (laughs) I don't know why I had a mortgage at 16, but sure.
0: (laughs) I have one out of Pittsburgh, which is nice, but it's going to piss off our good friend, the Libarbian. So, apologies to the Librarian as she is listening to this. Librarian puts ban on bandits. Books on banditry, holdups, and robbery or crime of any kind, even detective stories, will not be given out to children or boys up to 17 or 18, according to Miss Grace Endicott, head of the Children's Department of the Central Carnegie Library of the City. Similar action has been taken in Minneapolis, where it is said that nothing would be done to encourage boys or girls in a life of crime books of the blood-and-thunder kind were held to furnish boys particularly with ideas which later developed into crimes of a serious nature in some cases. Tales of harmless adventure are held to be all right, according to Miss Endicott, but the rough stuff is under the ban. According to Miss Endicott's view, books which would be suitable for boys would be Stevenson's Treasure Island, Jules Verne's Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer, Stockton's Buccaneers and Pirates, and Captain Chap. We've heard of all but one of those authors. One of those didn't make it into the I was the saying, canon. I read most of those, yeah. but like
2: that last one, I was like,
0: ah. Yeah. But the action stories must be denatured before they can be obtained by schoolboys. So, censored. Speaking of censored, the article finishes, The Pennsylvania Board of Censors for Moving Pictures recently ruled out all films that capitalized crime in a favorable way. We had a board of censors
1: for moving pictures. I think we still do, kind of, probably.
2: Although, once you read the story, it made a lot more sense, because I was like, okay, they're banning bandits from checking out books. How does this work? Like, yes, I'd like to check this book out. Well, are you a bandit? (laughs) Oh, no, sir.
0: (laughs) I don't have... A little strip of black cloth with just two eye holes in it over my eyes, do I? I'm wearing
2: a stripy shirt, but that's okay because this bag does not have a money side. Oh, <laughs> it's got the dollar symbol <laughs> on it. We're not good.
0: This skull cap is only because it's cold outside.
1: It's July, sir. Mm-hmm. I'm bald. <laughs> John Rowe, 54, the man who was... Well, no, I'm going to skip that part because I don't want to give it away. So John Rowe tried to leave his wife and sons. He was with two companions, and the story they tell is they were at the train yard, and he decided he was going to jump a New London bound freight. As one was coming south through the yard, the express started to approach in the opposite direction. Rose's companions said they shouted a warning to him to lie down between the two tracks, but he replied that he was going to get that freight if it killed him, which was the outcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Figured. The locomotive of the Express hit Roe, fracturing his skull. He probably died instantly. The accident happened unknown to the crew of the Express, which proceeded on its way to Boston. Oh, no. Oh, my.
0: <laughs> that's... Wow, that's a story.
1: I'm gonna hop that chain if it kills me. All uh,
0: right. Sometimes the old-timey newspaper writers had a little too much fun. As we can tell from this headline, which... It's so good that I have to wonder if this actually happened. Quick to slow, Delay gets away. <laughs> this was in Columbus, Ohio. Quick was slow and Delay was prompt. The result was that George H. Quick was arrested while Arthur Delay got away. C.H. Kelly told the police that Quick and Delay were stealing potatoes from his commission house at number 9 East Naughton Street. Although Quick was quick in pleading for mercy, Delay also was quick in making his escape via a train. Oh, more trains, but successful. While the arresting officers delayed their quests of delay, they were quick and getting quick to the police station. Something in my head just popped.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know all these words, but...
0: <laughs> they keep them being used in different contexts within the same sentence. I mean, I worked at a newspaper and it was still legend at that time how one of my fellow journalists had once done a story on... Some, I can't remember exactly what the topic was, but it was something bad that was happening in a nearby town. And that town was Wrightsville. And he said he could not help himself. The lead of the story, the first line had to be, could be nothing else but, something's wrong in Wrightsville.
1: That is amazing. (laughs) Yes.
0: I worked with some very talented people.
1: (laughs) What do you have another one for us? Let in wait in seam of her coat. New York, a leaden weight, sewed into the seam of a woman's coat to keep it in shape, is the cause of two damage suits for $40,000 filed here today by Mrs. Minnie Fine and her husband against a Fifth Avenue tailoring firm. Mrs. Fine charged that the weight flew out while she was handling the coat last May and struck her in the eye, resulting in physical pain, mental anguish, and doctor's bills. She sues for30,000 dollars. Her husband is suing for10,000 dollars for loss of his wife's services. Mm. So I did the math on this. This article was from November of 1912, and using the website in 2013 dollars. Her lawsuit was for $869,000 and his for $289,000. So topping out at over a million dollars. Over a million dollars for a weight in a coat. Well, I really want to know, like, so when I handle my coat,
2: I pick it up and I put it on, but it sounds like she was shaking it all about.
1: (laughs) I don't know. And then the fact that he gets to sue for loss of her services.
0: Yeah, right? What? Well, the fact that she was shaking it all about, maybe she was doing the hokey-pokey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it had to have been the hokey-pokey. That's it's what it's dangerous. all about.
2: It is all what it's all about, but it's a dangerous dance. <laughs> yes,
0: yes. So, okay, this one is, it's pretty grim. I know we generally do a little bit more lighthearted, but there were a couple aspects of this that drew me in, and I kind of couldn't not. So, basically, it was a couple of different articles and and tied into some stuff that's been discussed in more recently, and that I had actually forgotten, uh, I think, on purpose. But we'll get there. This just had too many different elements and I had to do it. So I'm basically going to give you a summary of what happened in this case. In April 1922, there was an article in the Daily News of New York about a woman, Mrs. Maud Fancher. She had been suffering a long illness for several years. She was scared of what would happen to her two-year-old baby if she died of the illness. She also loved her husband very much. They'd been doing well financially, but, quote, then sickness, which followed the birth of the baby, swallowed up everything. So they had a lot of medical bills to pay due to her illness, and maybe, maybe she had worked before but couldn't work now because she was sick. They started doing a little bit better financially, but the symptoms were getting worse and worse, and then they, she had a stillborn baby in September 1921, and she started to think that all hope was lost for her. She was really drawn in by a phenomenon that had been going on for quite a few decades at that point in time, spiritualism, especially the writings of Arthur Conan Doyle, who was shockingly super into it. She and her husband went to a seance in Detroit, and supposedly there they talked to her father, who had died by suicide several years before. And her husband also was sure that he talked to his deceased parents at this seance. She then went to a trumpet seance. It's not clear whether it was with him or not. We've talked about trumpet seances before, where they they have the long thing, and they claim, you know, like that summons the spirits, and the spirits come out of it, and sometimes there's ectoplasm, it's just weird. And two spirits were invoked to speak to her. One, quote, an Indian chief called Whitefeather, whom she was told was an ancestor. Then a child spirit called Pansy told Maud Fanter that she would always watch over her and care for her until Maud reached the spirit world herself. Seems like she kind of got hung up on this idea of Pansy, and she would talk to Pansy a lot after that whenever she was alone. And somehow through all this, the idea developed that if she and her baby were in the spirit world then together they could from there guide her husband Harmon to prosperity in the living world. Which is not a great idea. Uh, And the newspaper said, quote, All these thoughts she guarded carefully from him, though she often went over and over them with her baby, until the latter, as she believed, quite understood and agreed with her. She's definitely very much deluding herself here. And it's noted that Here's where it gets eyebrows. Uh, Due to her illness, they had a four ounce bottle of Lysol on hand in the house. You might think, oh, okay, disinfectant. Maybe. But uh, history, as well as old Lysol ads, tells us that she may have been using it for something else entirely. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I know what Lysol used to do. Well, there's some, there's some argument on that case, whether it was used as a douche to keep oneself quote-unquote clean, or as a birth control, or both. Yeah. But here is an ad uh, from a newspaper. This was in 1933, so actually 11 years after this happened. Uh, this is an ad. Frank talks by eminent women physicians. The most frequent eternal triangle, a husband, a wife. And her fear. And then this doctor then goes on to say, and she's a doctor of gynecology, uh, Dr. M. Ducede. uh, It's all blurry, so I'm just guessing that's how it's pronounced. The masks that women wear to the world are dropped when they enter a doctor's office. Often we play the role of confessor as well as physician. Thus I have learned fewer marriages would be beset by misunderstandings and unhappiness if more wives practiced marriage hygiene. Without it... Some slight feminine irregularity plants in a woman's mind. The fear of a major crisis. Periodic fear that changes her from a charming wife into a nerve-ridden travesty of herself. Fatal, inevitably, to the beauty of the marriage relation. Literally gird your loins. The proper technique of marriage hygiene is so simple. I recommend the Lysol method. Lysol ah. destroys germ life in organic matter. Not just in a test tube. It reaches every fold and crevice. Oh, my God. It never sears or burns as chlorine compounds do. Ah. Lysol is so soothing and healing it is freely used, even in childbirth cases. With Lysol, marriage hygiene is a dainty, cleanly habit, and a wise one if health and happiness are to dwell with a wife throughout (laughs) her marriage life. I wonder how much Lysol Oh,
2: no, it was an ad. It just read like an article.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So, it seems like you know they said she had a, a four ounce bottle of Lysol on hand in the house due to her sickness, and so I'm wondering if also in addition to everything else, that might have been part of the cause of the stillbirth. You think? I, I think it's I think it's very be. possible, like... and also potentially also really uh, causing a lot of her illness. Maybe that might have been a lot of the problem right there. <sighs> yeah. So. So yeah. And by the way, in case anybody's tempted, even it, it's not good for douching or for birth control. Okay, <laughs> technically, you're not even really supposed to douche. Everything it's it's self-regulating. It, it's like a self-cleaner. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Just let it. Let it. Let it do its thing. Let it ride. Exactly. But really, I guess you take what you can get when contraceptives are illegal as they would be for married couples. Oh my God, just fucking masturbate. <laughs> just, uh, what? Yeah. As they would be for married couples until Griswold versus Connecticut in 1965 and for single people until 1972. Huh. So I guess if you just need to pick up some Lysol from the grocery store and you think that that'll work. Oh, no,
1: no. God.
0: Yeah. So she is in this state where she's decided to cross over into the spirit world with her baby. She wrote a bunch to her husband. And uh, she said in, in her letter, Baby and I are going to guide you and talk to you. Baby can't talk much now, but he knows everything and he will talk to you over there. Oddly, in her letter, she also instructed him to sell a bunch of stuff, but specifically said, don't sell my clothes or my pictures. So she's like, I want you to have money, but not money from selling things I can no longer use. That doesn't make any sense. She's like, sell your stock, but don't sell my clothes.
2: Also, were pictures, like, of other people valuable? Like,
0: yeah, I don't know. Where would you sell that? Who would buy it? That's strange.
2: I, well, in me and B's first apartment, we found, like, some child's school picture, like, when we moved in, and we hung it up on the wall, and it hung there the entire time we lived there, but I don't think we would have bought it.
0: Yeah, you don't want some stranger's picture in your house. It's a little weird. Or maybe you do, and that could be your kind of, like, quirkiness.
1: Well, we ha- we oh. did have a case one time, because back in the day when pictures were more rare... That was, like, a sign that you knew people. So we had the fake princess that had stolen a, a picture and would be like, oh, this is my sister, the queen. Give me all your stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's as, like, reasonable as being an heiress to $15,000 on your calling card. <laughs> yes, yes. absolutely,
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yes.
0: I just watched uh, Inventing Anna, and just that just kept on popping into my head the whole entire time because it was, like, she basically was doing that same exact con of I'm an heiress. Was she mortgaging <laughs> furniture? Oh, uh, she did not mortgage any furniture that I know of, but she did, you know, use credit cards and stuff. I don't know what all they, they said that-
1: Yeah, you can't mortgage um, furniture these days. Yeah, this Beast, is I, I, I
0: threatened Beast with mm-hmm. it. And she's like, you can try, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, um, the, the end result of this was that Maud poisoned the baby with Lysol and then poisoned herself. baby died. She didn't die immediately. Ma didn't. She passed away a few days later in the hospital. She and the baby were buried together at her request. And they drew a damn cartoon to illustrate this Ah. in the newspaper. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. Here it is. There's a cartoon where, you know, panel by panel, it's her sitting there writing and the baby's crawling in the background. And then, yeah, yeah, it's something. I mean, it's not like, it's not like, Calvin
2: and Hobbes cartoon, but, like, it's still an illustration.
0: Yeah, it's still, it's still something that you can illustrate this with words, and I promise you, it'll be fine. It didn't you know? add
2: much. I mean, it did. Yeah. But it didn't.
0: Really, what pulled me in was the headline here. Conan Doyle's idea, one diseased wife takes poison and right spouse shall guide him happily in this world. So, yeah, that was uh, one of the bad results of spiritualism right there. Oh,
1: what do you got? So something that they should have made a cartoon of. The headline got me. Ford turned somersault after hitting wagon. <laughs> Which is just a fun thing to think about. A Ford touring car reported to have been operated at a high rate of speed plowed into the rear of a light garden truck wagon occupied by Victor Simmons and his son on Broad Street Extension in New London shortly before noon Thursday and hurled the wagon, occupants, and horse a distance estimated by the police of 50 feet. The Ford car, following the impact, turned a somersault in the air, smashing the top, dumping its two occupants, and then landing right side up, but in a completely wrecked condition. None of the persons in either vehicle were seriously injured. Occupants of the Ford escaped without identification. So they ran. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Simmons and his son escaped injury by landing in a mud bog alongside the highway. The horse attached to the vehicle was torn from the fills and thrown into a nearby ditch. The harness ripped off, the wagon shattered. And loads of eggs, cabbages, carrots, and garden supplies scattered far and wide along the roadway. We've got the makings of an old timey recipe right there. Just, that, it's just
2: like a roadside omelet.
1: <laughs> it is, it's a roadside omelet. The wrecked automobile was left by the roadside as the people driving it had run away. So. Oh, yeah.
0: The horse isn't really gonna hop in and go for a spin. <laughs>
1: no, but yeah, we do have the the makings for an old timey recipe right there. Certainly did do. the horse survive? The horse was fine. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. what I was thinking. Good. But. good.
0: I have one that uh, I another one that I kind of summed up because it was written a little overly flowery, but there were a couple things that pulled me in here. I called it the the sexy testimony. Oh, sexy mm-hmm. testimony. Yes, yes. So this is the the widow and the gem robbery. New Jersey widow Sarah L. Robertson had her jewels insured by the Lloyds of London for $55,000, which in the day would have been over $900,000 today, and she was charged with conspiracy to defraud Lloyds out of that $55,000 by setting up a fake robbery.
2: Ooh. Wait, some rapper just did that a couple of years back. Um
0: these these ideas are eternal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fake robberies fake heiresses. They just, they last through the ages. So the Lloyds, the investigator for Lloyds of London said Robertson went over her movements the day of the robbery with him. She told him, you know, I did this, that, and the other thing. She talked about taking the jewels from a safe deposit box at a hotel, which she had done at the advice of a real estate broker on Long Island who told her she should sell some of her jewels and buy some property on Long Island. Apparently, She had to show him the jewels for some reason. (laughs) Show me your jewels. Show me your jewels. And just as he was advising her to give him the jewels so that he could put them in his office safe, the bandits entered. Things got kind of heated and the robber, one of them, was backing her into the dining room, at which point he tore a diamond pin from the breast of her her gown. And the investigator for Lloyds of London said, mm, I looked at that gown and I did not see any rips or tears around the, that area. So the widow, Robertson, took the stand and told her story, even wearing the same dinner gown to court to testify. which wow. You gotta love the commitment.
2: I think there's lack of commitment here. Because like, if you're like, oh, they tore it from my breast, just put a little tear in the dress and... You might have got away with it.
0: Well, here's what she did in said gown, which, quote, displayed her arms and shoulders generously. Oh, my, my. Oh, it's getting hot in here. Is it just me? Whew. She even wore some of the jewels that had been stolen to court. She unfastened one of the shoulder straps of the evening gown and revealed to the jurors a goodly part of her shoulder and a bit of torn underlining to which she said the pin had been fastened and which was torn as the bandit pulled the pin away. She's practically stripping. I feel like she might
2: have been showing some ankle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I bet
1: she was. I bet she was.
0: I mean, arms and shoulders. If she'll show the arms and shoulders, she'll show the ankle. It's just the way it is. Now, oddly, they found the robbers, John Bailey and Samuel Gasson, and they confessed to being put up to the robbery by the widow Robertson. They said that they had talked about it with her for a few months, and the plan was that they would come to rob her, and she would give them an empty bag instead of the one containing her jewels. Her jewels, which were then found at a home on Riverside Drive in New York, the residence of Mrs. Florence Pelletreau, who said that she didn't even know they were there. She was unaware. Meanwhile, Robertson said, those were not the jewels that were stolen. That's other jewelry that I stored there for safekeeping because it wasn't even insured. And Mrs. Pelletro was still standing there like, what? I don't, we didn't have this talk. I think I would remember this. And so you have the confessions of the two fake bandits. You have a confession that the Lloyds of London investigators said he elicited from Mrs. Robertson. And she, of course, said he made up the confession. Testimony in the case went for a week. Any guesses on deliberation time? Two hours.
2: 47 minutes.
0: Right damn in between. One hour and 20 minutes. Ah. And any guesses on the result?
2: So Lloyds of London was suing... No, she's,
0: she's being criminally charged okay. for conspiracy.
2: Yeah, she, she's guilty.
0: Guilty. Acquitted. What? Wow. Quote... Those who had heard the evidence expressed their belief that the jury had been greatly impressed by Mrs. Robertson's straightforward and impressive manner on the stand in they her They were own greatly defense.
1: impressed by her shoulder. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, what I the thought angle, too. I think. I guess the main thing that the paper said that swayed them was that she had testified about her rental incomes, which were about 1250 a month. That would be $20,000 a month today. So why would she, quote, engage in a scheme? To defraud an insurance company by staging a supposed robbery of her own jewelry. These people don't have the understanding that greed can be never-ending. Yeah. You know? So that was, um, that was, that was something. I was surprised by the acquittal, too, because I was reading the case and I was like, oh, she's
1: guilty as hell. And then she wasn't. Wow. What you got, Amber? Boston police catch suspect in store. He denies crime. Bodies found. Unearthed in shallow grave Sunday. We're gone two months. So that was a really long headline. But a man uh was, was picked up, his name was Joe Stefanoski. He was employed by William and Stasia Stefanovitz, who had been missing for several months. They were eventually found buried in a shallow grave on their 160-acre farm where Joe worked. Joe has been running things while the couple were traveling in Chicago. Mm. And uh, this this was the the nail in the coffin by the police officers because he was unable to explain the sale of two calves in the absence of his employers.
2: <laughs> so basically, he was like, I killed him. It's my farm now.
1: Yeah. And that's what he was doing. Was he was like running it. It's farm piracy. It <laughs> is. He was running it for two months and everyone was like fine with it until he sold two calves. And then the police are like, mm, they must be dead. <laughs> Why did you sell their animals? Because if you're just here taking over things, you can't sell their property. They need to be here for that. We know you did it. I just love that that was like their evidence. you sold two animals.
0: All right, I have two here from our friend of the show, Kelsey. Kelsey's also a fan of the old-timey newspaper. So she sent us a couple of crimes and we're also gonna have a recipe from her. This is 1926 in Fowler, California. Daughter aids her mother in robbing bank. And it, actually it happened, this is a you know national story, it happened in South Dakota in Sioux Falls. Capture and confession marked the unhappy termination of an adventure in bank robbery for a Sioux Falls mother and her 19-year-old daughter, Mrs. Catherine Rogers, 40, and her daughter Zera, Z-E-R-A, that's an interesting one for that, that time period, were arrested barely 24 hours after two women held up the Renner State Bank near here. We needed the money, that's all, was the terse explanation credited to Mrs. Rogers by the police, who said that the woman, quote, had made a complete confession. Mute evidence in support of this explanation was seen in the woman's home, just east of this city, where a husband and father, disabled in the World War, lies hopeless in bed. And then the next headline is, we'll oppose leniency. I can't see why they should be turned loose said State's Attorney J.D. Kuhn when questioned as to the probability of leniency in view of the condition of the husband and father. Rogers is drawing $50 a month from the Veterans Bureau. He is suffering from shell shock, suffered when he was in a hospital unit in the Battle of the Argonne. The Veterans Bureau has arranged for a bed in a hospital here for Rogers, and the American Legion is working to provide relief for him. A trail of pennies, part of their loot, led detectives to the Rogers' home where they found the mother dressed in male clothing. Nearby was the daughter. Confronted with information that she changed 700 pennies to larger coins at a Sioux Falls store, Mrs. Rogers confessed that she and her daughter committed the robbery. When asked why she had taken part in it, the daughter added, I did it because my mother wanted me to. Mrs. Rogers told the police that it was just luck that we picked the Renner bank, They drove around, she said, and had planned to hold up the first bank they came to, which had no customers in it. So the cashier was alone for this. The women entered, held him up at gunpoint. Neither I nor Zara were the least bit nervous, Mrs. Rogers said, but thinking about the robbery beforehand had made us lose our appetites, and we could hardly sleep. But we needed money right away and determined to go through with it. I think I threatened the man in the bank, but of course I wouldn't have killed him. In their cells, the women appeared unconcerned over the future, nor did they express any regret. Neither did they see anything unusual in the fact that women had robbed a bank.
1: Well, good for them. Yeah. So I actually have this article because I'm jealous. Arrest is made in air bombings. This is in Illinois. Paul Montgomery, local aviator was arrested at 10 a.m. by Sheriff William Flanagan for investigation in connection with the airplane bombing of mining properties in the vicinity of Providence, Wyoming. Basically, this guy was a pilot and decided that he didn't like the miners, and so he was just going to fly over and dynamite them. And I am so jealous that I have not done this. You just want to
0: dynamite a bunch of miners who are
1: just working for a No, living? no. I, I don't think he was doing it when the dynamite miners were there. out of a plane. Yeah, like, I just want to drop dynamite out of a plane. I don't want to hurt anybody. Okay, good. Um, and <laughs> I then, always
0: have to double check with you.
1: Yeah, you never know. <laughs> right under this, which made me giggle because it's like, air bombings, swimmers reported in local reservoir. Complaints have been received by the police that men and boys have been recently swimming in the waters of Broadbrook one of the city's reservoirs in the vicinity of Nagel and Turner Roads. A careful watch will be kept to apprehend any future violations of the law against bathing and water used for drinking purposes.
2: So that kind of reminds me of a weird story from my youth. So me and Beast and another friend were like, like, it's hot out, let's go swimming. And there were like two big lakes where we grew up and they were both private lakes. We got thrown out of both of them. <laughs> it didn't make the news but so we go down to the store in town and we get some ice cream and we're sitting there and we ended up with our picture as a full page picture in u.s news and world reports
1: what that is awesome yeah oh my god i need to see this we'll have to get back on newspapers.com <laughs> <laughs> like, it was ridiculous
0: oh my gosh that is hilarious Oh, see, it just, it gave me an idea, also beast-related, how she always talks about she's going to sneak up in the dead of night and start uh, digging a pool in our backyard. And I was like, but maybe dynamite?
1: But maybe dynamite. <laughs> but
0: maybe dynamite. And then she would definitely get some help from Amber. Yes. Uh, and I got another one from Kelsey. This is out of the Sedalia, Missouri Democrat in September 1908. This actually happened in New York. Annie Miller, 40 years old, who refused her address, was arrested in a saloon at 9th Avenue and 40th Street yesterday while she was collecting money under the guise of a Sister of Charity. She wore the garb of a nun, but represented herself to be Sister Cecilia of no particular order. So she wasn't associated with an order of nuns. Policeman Forbes of the Central Office, who was hunting for the woman, first saw her at 9th Avenue and 38th Street and says that in two of five saloons she entered, she asked for and received contributions. The woman made no protest when arrested, and she had nothing to say when Inspector McCafferty told her that her picture was number 14704 in the Rogues Gallery, and that she had served six months on Blackwell's Island. So she's been in prison. When searched, $1.77 was found in her pockets. So the police declare that she lives at number 202 West 22nd Street with her husband, and that she is variously known as Annie Werner and Annie Gabler. So she's going around, dressed as a nun, getting contributions in, of all places, saloons. Well, those are the people that need to repent. <laughs> Apparently, yes. That must be her logic there. Yeah, so that was Kelsey. Those were very uh, fascinating and good choices. I like those, very lighthearted after my whole,
1: like, you know, poor Lysol baby thing. <laughs> yeah, that was,
2: that, was, that was
1: pretty dark. So New Britain, when Joseph Yaniski, 51 of 42 Smalley Street, went to bed last night at 10 o'clock, He said, well, you won't see me alive anymore. His wife laughed at him as he had several times threatened to commit suicide. When son Walker, 14, awoke this morning, he saw the body of his father hanging from a post of the bed in which they both had slept. Yaniski, according to the information given to the police by members of the family, started drinking three weeks ago to celebrate the arrival of the seventh child born to him and his wife, And that time he continued to drink heavily. While the family slept last night, he left his bed, fastened his belt around his neck (gasps) and the bedpost, and hung himself.
0: It's actually, when you first start digging into the newspapers, it's pretty shocking how many times deaths by suicide are described. And in how much detail and just kind of with a casualness. Because we don't see that nowadays. Yeah,
2: and I'm kind of glad we don't see that oh, nowadays. Oh, I'm very glad. But then there are like people, like, like, you know, these like musicians and stuff that I listen to that are like, because they're not big, that I'll be like, well, how did they do it? And it's like, I want to dig into it and you can't.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, that's for the best, really, because uh, there's this idea that they can almost have like a sort of contagion in a community. But yeah, it's just, it's, it's just shocking you just keep on seeing it over and over again in the newspaper. And you're like,
1: Jesus Christ, it gets it to well, be a little bit much. Directly underneath this, and it almost looks like the same article, it says, easy money. Then it says, Baltimore, with Henry Benson, it was merely a case of swapping a stomach ache for a headache. Suffering with the former, he gave a gypsy woman $4,000 in bills to make a plaster out of them and cure him. He wore it five days and then discovered the $4,000 had shrunk to $9. That's when Henry got the headache.
0: (laughs) Old timey writers were having way too much fun.
1: Way too much fun.
0: There was a section, like sort of a feature in the newspapers. They had it in both New York and in Chicago. So these are, you know, go back and forth. They're mostly Chicago. But they would have readers in the 1920s write in with their most embarrassing moment. Oh, good. Sort of uh, like uh, what one of those magazines did, I don't know if it was like Teen or YM or whatever when, in like the 90s where you could write in with your most embarrassing moment. It was like, I had my period when I was wearing white shorts, you know, stuff like that. You know, somebody yelled to my crush that I liked him. But these are, these are 1920s. And so they're funny in their own special way. This is somebody giving her maid's most embarrassing moment. So right off, <laughs> bitch I say. Bitch I say! <laughs> My maid's most embarrassing moment was one day when we had a dinner guest, a well-known and dignified educator. We had baked potatoes for dinner, and she passed him an empty dish in which to place the potato shells. He evidently was puzzled when he saw the empty dish and looked at the maid, whereupon she said, don't you want to put your skin in there? To which he hesitatingly replied, no, Mary, no. He ate his potato skin. And then there's a whole weird innuendo there. That is the... (laughs) Also, I'm going to start using potato shell. Yeah. (laughs) I want some stuffed potato
1: shells. Yum. I actually saw in in one of these old-timey newspapers, it was an advice article. Those are fantastic. Oh, oh my God.
2: Like, Helloise, but old-timey? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. And so it was two questions. And the first question was a guy that was like, I'm really ugly. But I still go out on dates, and all the women say that they've had a lovely time. Are they lying? And this this woman responds with, no, they're not lying. You have money. And as a man, you don't need to be attractive.
2: (laughs) That's why I'm single, the lack of money.
1: And then the second one was a woman writing in. She and her husband had been trying to have kids, and they had lost three babies, and then they decided to adopt. About a year after they adopt this little girl, they get pregnant and they have a son. And now the husband no longer wants the little girl that they adopted. And she goes, so should I give it to another family? And the woman's like, yes, yes, of course. You must keep your husband happy. And I'm like, is it what? It's a a human child. This is a human
2: child. I mean, I do kind of agree. Give it to another family because if your husband's like, oh, I don't want this child anymore, and you're like, well, should I get rid of it? Let me write this stranger in the newspaper.
0: You're probably not going to be the best parent to that. Yes, Yeah, there's, there's a, I don't want to call it like giving a child away evil, but just as the phrase goes, there's a lesser of two evils there. Yeah. So there's a the decision there that's probably going to be in the child's best interest, and if the child's father doesn't want it, it's probably going to be being with people who do. Yeah, if you that thinking is fair, that, you that is maybe fair. get rid of it. And if you're writing to the newspaper about it, then I think the answer is an automatic
1: yes. <laughs> and that I suppose that's fair the way it was worded though cuz it was like I I really love this baby and she's my baby and I don't want to give her up but I'm so scared that like if he resents her, she's going to grow up knowing that. And I'm like, well, that's kind of fair. But the woman is like, yes, yes, you must keep your husband happy. Yeah, it's it's oh, away no. with the child. It's the reasoning behind yeah, the, the reply that the, is the problem.
2: The advice was good. The reason
0: behind the advice yeah. was bad. Yes, exactly. I'm just remembering we did the, the old-timey newspapers a couple weeks ago for the Patreon. And uh, for one of the bonus episodes... And there was a woman who wrote in to, like, it was a community advice column, which was interesting because you would write in asking for, you know, a recipe for something or asking for advice on some sort of home thing or or your relationships. And people would write back from the community. It wasn't just the editor doing it. And that woman wrote in saying, I have this obese dog. How should I handle this? What should I do? And somebody responded, and they published this in the paper, kill it! How dare you have an obese dog when there are human beings that exist?
2: I mean, (laughs) like... I don't know,
0: walk the dog. <laughs> There's an idea. Beat it less. Yeah. Alright, I have a couple more embarrassing moments for you guys. These were awesome. These were kind of a gold mine for me. This was a surprised pastor. <laughs> my most embarrassing moment. A few years ago, I went with my little son bathing at Coney Island near New York. We were in the water next to a party of very pious looking people who seemed, according to their talking, to be a ladies' aid society with their pastor and his wife. Different times I heard remarks about their church affairs and also how free the young women on the shore and in the water behaved. While I unconsciously was listening to the chatting of these happy folks, I noticed my child went too far into the water along the rope, so I started quickly after him and did not notice a big wave coming right toward my back until it lifted me and with great power up and, oh mercy, I landed right on the surprised pastor, riding on his neck! I screamed aloud in shock and horror, not alone about the situation, but you should have seen the staring eyes of the pastor's wife and all the Ladies Aid Society. As soon as I freed myself, I grabbed my son and started to run away as fast as I could from the surf. Every time I think of Coney Island, I must think of this happening.
2: I also kind of forgot like old-timey swimming was called bathing. I was like, like, oh, this is weird, (laughs) but
0: okay. Oh, she's just having some tubby time at Coney Island. Oh, goodness, yeah, these were, these were something, uh, this was a gentleman on the subway. I was riding on the subway, and it was so jammed that a person could scarcely move. Suddenly, I felt I was going to sneeze and hurriedly dug into my pocket for my handkerchief. It wasn't there, so I began feeling in my other pockets for it. A man standing beside me asked me abruptly if he had anything belonging to me. If I haven't, I wish you'd keep your hands out of my pockets, he said. For reply, I gave a hearty sneeze. It took a few minutes to explain. (laughs) <laughs> i like that yeah yeah so uh here's somebody calling out somebody for uh, tipping badly i was dining at a restaurant with a girl on whom i was anxious to make a good impression i was somewhat disturbed when i found i had only 10 cents for a tip but managed to put it under the edge of the plate so she would not notice it while we were putting on our coats an elderly woman and her daughter came in and took the seats we had just vacated we were making our way through the restaurant towards the door when the woman called after me in a shrill voice that could be heard all over the room. Here, young man, is ten cents you left on your table. You cheap ass. Yeah. Just remembering a couple, an elderly couple, both quite crotchety, who used to come into the Perkins where I worked in college. You wouldn't be lucky to get they, like a, a nickel or a dime from them. One of the waiters finally got fed up and he just ran out the door and threw it at them like a, seven cents that they had left. <laughs> Here's a, you know, oh, the things children say. Our family physician told my little girl that when she had taken all of a bottle of medicine, she would have rosy cheeks. Coming home on the car one night, on the streetcar, a young woman who had very high color on her cheeks sat beside us. My little girl looked at her and asked, how many bottles did you have, lady?
2: That's that's funny. (laughs) That's that's, that's, that's adorable. Another one under
0: kids say the darndest things. I was visiting when my hostess excused herself to hasten into an adjoining room for the purpose of quelling a disturbance among the children. What do you mean by shouting and screaming?" she said. "Play quietly, like Tommy. See, he doesn't make a sound. Of course not, replied Tommy's sister. That is our game. He is Papa coming home late, and I am you. <laughs> ha ha ha) <laughs> Well played. Yep, yep. They also had a side-by-side with this embarrassing moments section. A section, uh, they all kind of were exactly the same. So this is just an example. But it's sort of like spiritualist connections. Like people writing in with their spooky occurrences from the other side. This is Grandchild Heard Call. My small son had been living with his grandmother for a year when I took him to my home in a distant city. For three months, he enjoyed his new home in perfect contentment. But suddenly, he began to ask to see his grandparent. He would say he could hear grandma calling me and could not be pacified. A week later, I received a telegram stating the serious illness of my mother. And when I arrived, she was dead. I was told that during her short illness, she had called for my little son continually. And they were all pretty much like that. Somebody acted weird or I heard things or I saw things. And then they found out that a relative had died. It was, it was almost always like that. I had a wonderful, really, this, there's no article attached to this, but it's the, the canine war hero gets wooden leg. It's a little Jack Russell who got honorable wounds in France as the mascot of the 109th Infantry. And uh, the Philadelphia pound fitted him with a wooden leg. And he's so cute. <laughs> this is This is rough. Because she tried to stifle a yawn at 1 a.m. while entertaining friends in her home in Brooklyn, Miss Frances Kerwin suffered a dislocated jaw when she finally gave way to her desire to stretch her mouth. The services of a surgeon from the Brooklyn Hospital were required to put the strained jaw back where it belonged. So, and the uh, headline is, Some Yawn Dislocates Jaw, Trying to Be Polite. Uh, So, and then, finally, in my Weird Stuff section, I have paper. And it's just a picture of a man wearing like a white suit jacket, a bow tie, he's got a cap on. Kind of looks like maybe like an old-timey ice cream man, maybe. The caption reads, garments of paper have been suggested as a solution to high cost of clothing problem by M. Sussman, a tailor. And I'm like, okay, I think there's, there's one very important consideration that has not gone into this. Rain! <laughs> yeah, yeah, like,
2: I don't see paper clothing catching on. I just don't. I don't. I think... see it
0: catching on fire. Well, that could be fun. <laughs> yeah, Amber's like, this is my dream
1: world.
2: Being disrobed would be very easy to do. Like, just walk out, run.
1: I'm liking this idea more and more. Yeah, I'm
2: starting. It's starting to grow on me.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of starting to uh, like it too.
0: I mean, like, I like it for other people. I don't really want it for me. All right, I am summoning Jackson. Who will judge the recipes. I'm going to read all of them to him and so there's no bias. He doesn't know. I'll lock my phone Um, screen then. So while we're waiting, I have a little preface to this that was uh, something I found. An article titled, We'll Prefer Food and Let Art Go. Philadelphia, April 14th. Marriage is fatal to careers of women artists. Thornton Oakley, internationally known artist, told the College Art Association here today, The fine arts and the culinary arts cannot be made to mix with satisfactory results, Oakley said. And so the headline answers the question of, well, what do we do? We'll prefer food and let art go. Food is art, though, sometimes. Yeah, it really is. And um, also, I don't see how painting is keeping a woman, you know, or sculpting or whatever, is keeping a woman from also cooking. And maybe that's why we got into the
1: jello molds.
0: (laughs) There is this kind of like... Half serious idea that the jello thing came about because women after World War II happened and they had had time in the workplace and they'd gotten to get out of the house, they were like, Well, you know, now we're back in the house and now we're expected to do all the cooking and cleaning again. And, um, well, they took
2: some creative license,
0: yeah, they were like, Yo, you want me to cook? All right, here's your jello with carrots and celery and mayonnaise.
1: <laughs> okay, well before Jackson gets in here, can I put can I throw out a recipe that is not included in this? Sure, yeah. This was the weirdest recipe for cucumber salad I've ever seen in my life. Mm. And we've all seen recipes for cucumber salad. Lemon jello, thinly sliced cucumbers, and then you add onion juice to make a nice summer
0: salad. Oh, well, that's lovely. So Ugh. so a recipe that
2: I think my family still makes. I don't eat it, but, because I, we, I don't eat onions, as we discussed on the Onion Podcast. Yes. I don't know the recipe exactly, but it is toast, it is onions, it is milk, it is black pepper, and it is Velveeta. What? And that is it. It is a casserole. It is onion casserole, and, it, no. and that's the whole thing. Absolutely not. No, uh. there's nothing about
1: that that sounds appealing. I actually, I had found a recipe and it sounded really gross because it was entitled uh, creamed macaroni. And I'm like, ew. But then I, reading the recipe itself, I'm like, this is macaroni and cheese. They used yeah. to refer to macaroni and cheese as creamed macaroni. Okay.
2: I had a kind of similar thing whenever I was looking for recipes. I came across it and I'm like, "Ooh, this one sounds gross because it had alligator pears in it. And then I learned that alligator pears are avocados in it was just normal. Yeah,
0: I told Joel that I had the same experience with finding recipes for muskmelon pie and then discovering that muskmelons taste a lot like cantaloupe. So still, cantaloupe pie is a little weird, but it's, it wasn't nearly as weird. as just what I was thinking when I heard musk melon. All right, so we are going to have a little uh, horrible recipe contest. The contestants here are in no particular order. Joel, Amber, friend of the show, Kelsey and me. I'm going to read these recipes to Jackson, my lovely husband. Say hi Jackson. Oh hi. And he is going to tell us which one grosses him out the most. They're in no particular order and he does not know whose is whose. First we have lemon horseradish jelly. One package of lemon flavored gelatin, one and three quarters cups hot water, 12 whole cloves, quarter tablespoon salt, and one-third cup drained horseradish. Dissolve gelatin in water. Add cloves and salt. Chill. Remove cloves when gelatin begins to congeal. Add horseradish. Pour into a pan and chill until firm. Cut into squares and serve as a meat accompaniment. Serves three or eight. It's blurry. Yum. That's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. So this next one is stewed celery and carrots. We use the outside tough pieces of the celery. Cut them up, stew until tender. Set aside, scrape the carrots, cut in any shape, cook till tender, drain. Then add carrots to celery with its liquid. Heat and add milk, season and thicken slightly. The proportion of carrot to celery according to taste. An easy and satisfactory change in preparing these vegetables. I mean, that
2: doesn't...
0: I don't want to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, it doesn't sound... I don't know. I think you don't want to eat it because it sounds gross. Yeah. And Then we have a sour milk pie. One cup of very thick sour milk, one cup of raisins chopped fine, one cup of sugar, half a cup of butter, one egg, one cracker rolled fine, one teaspoon cinnamon, half a clove. Put on stove. Put on stove to thicken. Makes two pies. One cracker. What is it? one cracker? <laughs> one cracker rolled fine. Yep. You're just Wait, using like the cracker the dust. It doesn't specify. <laughs> like I mean like okay. And I'm thinking sour milk is like sour cream, buttermilk. But it's this very thick sour milk.
1: So I actually saw a few recipes uh in in my recipe extravaganza that I fell down into <laughs> and um sour milk and buttermilk were kind of said interchangeably. Oh, okay. All right. So buttermilk. Oh, you making- That that's still not pleasant. No. Well, that- because if you couldn't afford buttermilk, you could actually like deliberately kind of sour your milk, so it got that thickness and the funkiness. Okay. And finally,
0: our fourth contestant, we have the jellied tomato refresher. Yum. One envelope, unflavored gelatin, quarter cup cold water. I'm just gonna list all that instead of the ingredients. Tomato juice, uh, dehydrated green pepper flakes, artificial sweetener, lemon juice, instant beef broth or bouillon cube, Worcestershire sauce, garlic, salt, crowned cloves, green pepper, cut in rings. And here's the instructions. Sprinkle gelatin over cold water to soften. Combine tomato juice, green pepper flakes, sweetener, lemon juice, broth mix, Worcestershire, garlic salt, and cloves in saucepan. Bring to a boil, then remove from heat. Add softened gelatin. Stir to dissolve. Pour into bowl. Refrigerate until set. Just before serving, beat lightly with fork. Spoon mixture evenly divided into four dessert dishes. Garnish with pepper rings, if desired. And I can tell you that what it looks like is it's in glasses, like goblets, and it looks like bloody flesh, I would say. It looks like bloody flesh with a, a pepper ring coming out the top. So, Jackson, you are our judge. We have the lemon horseradish jelly, the stewed celery and carrots, the sour milk pie, and the jellied tomato refresher. Which of these, you, husband of mine, who I have seen eat cold SpaghettiOs out of a can, would you find the most grotesque and revolting?
2: So how long do you cook the stewed celery and
0: carrots? You know, you stew the celery until tender and then you set it aside and then you cook the carrots until uh, tender. And then you bake them together with the milk until... Yeah, heat and add milk, season and thicken slightly. So you basically have celery, carrot, milk. So I've made vegetable
2: broth, and that brings up memories of making the vegetable broth and then being like, oh, I can still eat these carrots and eating one of the carrots afterward. And it was just gross. So I'm going to go with the stewed celery and carrots.
0: Yay, I win! (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs)
1: Oh gosh! All right. Well, Jackson, thank you very much. I should have oh, gone with welcome. the kidney spoon cake. Oh God! I don't even want to know. <laughs> I
2: was searching for things with brains, and I was just like, "I was like, these are only gross if you don't like the idea of eating brains."
0: Well, I think that there's a large portion of the population that is in that category. It's not bad. It's delicious. Like, okay, I just I'm, had brains a few weeks ago. I'm the only. I've I've had I've had brains too, but I didn't. Or I think, were there brains in the, the Sabu Day? Yes. Okay, yes. I've had brains too, but I didn't know I was eating brains at the
1: They're time. Not, like,
2: I mean, yeah. I wouldn't like go to the market and buy some brains. I But would. like,
0: like if I'm a pig roast, I'm going for the brain. Don't had,
1: eat the eyeball. That's weird.
0: <laughs> I had also a recipe for brains in my, my contestants for what I was going to
1: talk about. I had a recipe for uh, stewed heart kidney spoon cakes, prune bread... And buffet platter, which I'm going to read to you regardless because it's areas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> when you make vegetable broth, throw out the vegetables, keep the liquid. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> Good to know. Words of wisdom from Jackson. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks.
0: Hey, thanks. Thank you. That was great. Cooking tips from Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do you have another recipe you want to share?
1: I, I am going to read the buffet platter to you, because at first I was like, buffet platter, okay. But then I started kind of glancing at it, and I was like, uh, so you need uh, two cans, diced beets, three tablespoons gelatin, sugar, lemon juice, salt, vinegar, celery, chopped green pepper, one and a half pounds assorted cold cuts, salad greens, and mayonnaise.
2: Yeah. I, I, I knew the mayonnaise was coming.
1: Drain beets, but save the liquid. Add enough water to make three cups. Soak gelatin in one half cup of the measured liquid. Heat the remaining liquid. So you're making beet jello right now. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So heat the remaining liquid with sugar, lemon juice, salt, vinegar. Add gelatin and stir that until dissolved. Chill. When gelatin begins to congeal, add celery, green pepper, and beets. Pour into an eight inch ring mold and chill until firm. Unmold in center of large wooden chop plate. Arrange cold cut meats around salad. Garnish with greens. Fill center with mayonnaise. Serves 12. You know, things I really just
0: don't like to combine are cold cuts and jello. And beet jello. And beet jello. All right. Well, kind of along that same lines, there was in one of the newspapers a section of foods for the invalid you're taking care of somebody who is convalescing or whatever. So here was one of the more solid foods that is suitable for the convalescent, who apparently we are trying to torture. Chicken jelly. Place the chicken in the stew pan with just enough water to little more than cover it and simmer until the meat drops from the bones. There will be about one pint of juice. Strain, season a few minutes more, then pour into an earthen dish and set on ice to harden. Serve cold with toast or cut into slices and serve as sandwiches. Okay. It's chicken juice, but, okay, that's, that's basically broth. Okay, all right. But jelly. I don't want my chicken to be in any sort of jelly form. I don't like that. Uh,
2: so, a lifetime ago, I worked in a group home for mm-hmm. adults with disabilities. And some of them were not able to drink liquids. So you put a powder into, like, I don't know, their glass of water, and then spoon-fed it to them. So, one time, I'm like, what is going on? I'm like, all right, this is gross, but... I got to I got to try it and it didn't taste gross but it was not pleasant either.
0: Yeah, texture plays a huge part in food and it's weird that I can definitely accept, you know, strawberry jelly and I cannot accept chicken jelly.
1: I probably I probably could. Like I get
0: the I, the word congealed just keeps on popping into my mind and I don't want the word congealed
1: associated with meat. In any way, shape, or form. So, like, and and you guys know this. I've been sick off and on for a very, very long time. And there's a lot of times that I cannot eat solid food. And so when I have to go on the soft food thing, one of the things I actually do is I'll take, like bread or something and soak it in broth. And that way it it almost feels like I, I'm eating something Yeah. that isn't just broth. So like, I think I would eat that. Okay. All right. You're kind of a special case, but you you would be considered
0: a convalescent, I guess.
1: At times. <laughs> At yes. Times, yeah. Like, especially when I'm in my sicker phases, I can't have solids. I would eat that just to pretend like I'm eating something. I do have one more for you. Okay. How about some creamed ham and noodle rings? No. How about not? Well, at first I was like, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. See, it's like noodles and then eggs and then creamed cottage cheese and creamed ham. You cook the noodles in boiling salted water until tender. Beat eggs and combine with noodles, cheese, and seasoning. Pour into greased ring mold. There's our ring mold again. Bake at 325 for 45 minutes, turn out onto that chop plate once more, and then fill the center with creamed ham and serve immediately. Oh my. (sighs) Cottage cheese. In all that. Yeah, that's combined cheese. I'm like, that is not cheese. You're putting cottage cheese. Yeah. Like if it was cheddar. Okay, But I will say this, because it sounds really gross, but I've actually made lasagna with cottage cheese because a a grandmother had told me to do it. No, my
2: grandma makes her lasagna with cottage cheese instead of ricotta. It was delightful.
1: Yeah, it was actually really good. I think I prefer the cottage cheese and the lasagna to ricotta.
0: I think my best lasagna was goat cheese and spinach. Yeah, really good. We actually made two old-timey recipes this week. Um, Jackson made, well, Jackson made them. Jackson made Mulligatani soup that we- Which I heard that was a hit. Uh, it was delicious. We talked about that in, in the tiny, I guess it would have been uh, last week. And so, yeah, it's basically like a chicken curry soup with apples. <laughs> and you are just, but, would be very surprised at how yummy it is.
2: No, that doesn't sound tr- horrible. Cause like if I do like pork and sauerkraut, I will occasionally chop up an a- apple and throw in there. So like,
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. We'll put it, we'll put it's, apples. It's not like, it
2: doesn't yeah. seem that weird.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just, I I never think... a sweet kick to it. But I never think to put apples in soup is the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And during this entire hunt for recipes and such, I found eggs savory, which is basically just like eggs and cheese. But instead of putting the cheese on top of the eggs, you melt the cheese along with some butter first and then throw in the eggs. And yes, this does pretty much destroy a pan, but I was gonna ask if the pan survived. I think it did survive. There was some really rough cleaning with it, but we used an old pan on purpose. Yeah. And it was delicious. I don't know what it was (laughs) that made it. it The cheese is like a little bit like crispier and has like the more buttery flavor. It was just really, really good. So if you're willing to destroy a pan, you can do that. I do have a couple more things here. I told you guys a little bit about this in our friend group chat, but I think think the world needs to know about this article that was in the Tacoma Ledger about how women don't think that men can cook, but women are wrong, wrong, wrong. As always, right? I am blessed with a husband who can cook and does enjoy it and has been very helpful in keeping me fed during this time of having a hard time standing for long enough to even, you know, make myself some freaking ramen or something. I am the only one that cooks. So, so yeah. But when I am well, we try to work together with the cooking. I'm prep girl and he's meat guy. <laughs> See, I can
2: cook and I will cook, but I
0: don't cook. <laughs> See, at least you can. But in, in this article we have some, some interesting examples, but okay. So the article regales us with, at first with the tale of this poor deluded woman she, she thinks her husband can't cook and she's among many. They all think their husbands can't cook and they're sorely mistaken. So the anecdote about this one housewife goes that she went to visit her mother's, left her husband alone, and returned to find that he, her husband suddenly refused to eat eggs. So she couldn't understand it until she found four dozen eggshells in a bowl hidden in a cupboard. Do we not know what garbage is? Or compost? Anything? weaponized incompetence. Yeah, really. 48 well, eggshells. Mhm. After she told her friends of this travesty, quote, she adopted the complacent expression of one who knows she is needed. The article then goes on, quote, "Alas, dear lady, we interviewed your husband the other day with regard to recipes. He hasn't eaten eggs since you came back because you don't cook them as well as he did while you were gone." <laughs> They go on to tell us about some Tacoma men of the 1920s who can mix it up in the kitchen. Some of them don't sound terrible. There's a man who can sounds like he can make a decent lamb chop. There's a judge who can make some biscuits. There's a publisher who can poach eggs. Okay, big deal.
1: (laughs) Why are they getting published in the paper for being able to cook?
0: Because it's considered heroic if a man does it and normal if a woman does it in this time period and sometimes in this time period that we're living in. There's a guy who brags of being able to make eggs, toast, and coffee.
1: That's <laughs> Good for you, buttercup. <laughs> right?
0: So. The episode's subtitle. Good for you, buttercup. So <laughs> my brother cool.
2: buys, his, buys his house, right? Mm-hmm. Had never cooked for himself before. Oh my goodness. I get a call from my brother, who is my older brother, I should stress, and calls me up and goes, hey, when does Manwich thicken up? And I was like, what do you mean thicken up? And so he had bought Manwich, opened up the can, put it in the, the pan, and was waiting for it to turn into Sloppy <laughs> Joe's. Oh. But it, and I was just like, well, it doesn't. You put meat in it. And he's just like, oh, well, I don't have any meat. So his solution to all of this was he took a big mixing bowl, poured a can of ravioli in it, poured the Manwich
0: over top of that, and
2: doused it in ranch dressing
0: wow and
2: my brother he had to be like 23 at the time like his first attempt at cooking
0: now it doesn't qualify as old-timey but still i think he should have uh, saved that one for jackson <laughs> um because that would have definitely beat my my milky celery carrots and it
2: was just like you just put the you don't have to put the sandwich on the ravioli And where's the ranch dressing coming from? I
1: feel like the manwich on the ravioli would have been okay. It was the ranch dressing that took it a step too far. But like, so my daughter is going to be 19 this month. And uh, every summer I make a point to teach her several recipes. So she's got to have recipes of things she can cook for herself. Recipes of things she can cook for a group of people as like a dinner party. Yeah, the chicken cordon bleu she's supposed to be making us. And then a recipe for a date. And so I make sure that every time we we do like a little lesson that she's got three more recipes up her belt. But when this first started, she decided that she was going to cook herself pierogies, right? I don't eat pierogies. I don't make pierogies. So she's never really seen me make pierogies. And she bought herself like the little freezer pack of pierogies and they're frozen. And usually what you do is you boil them first and then you put them in a pan to crisp them up almost like a pot sticker and and saute them in like butter, onion or whatever you want. She didn't know this. and she puts it directly into a hot pan and catches the kitchen on fire because you cannot sear frozen things immediately, especially pasta. So she lit pasta on fire. I was was very impressed (laughs) that she managed to do this. She's gotten much better now, though, because like now she's got her own apartment. She has her own kitchen. She knows how to cook lots of things. I don't think she's bought pierogies since this incident.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, in this article, the, probably the worst one, which uh, I feel like your brother would be right on board with, was uh, the bishop and his spaghetti. So when he was, when he was accosted by a journalist and asked if he, can make, if he can cook, he said, oh, yes, I can cook just fine. I cook wonderfully. And then he gave his recipe for spaghetti. Spaghetti noodles boiled for 25 minutes. It's a little tender then for some reason you cool them in a colander and then plop a nice tasty can of Campbell's tomato soup over it grate some American cheese on top toss it all in the stove or
1: uh bake it and then that is your spaghetti does he not did he not you know know that He
2: sell jars of sauce
1: I was gonna say he's the person that invented SpaghettiOs that's SpaghettiOs right there overcooked noodles tomato soup and just gnarliness. See, I know you're not getting notifications for the chat because that's what I said. Oh, is <laughs> it? In the group chat, I was like, this guy just invented SpaghettiOs. <laughs> I've, I've been but, so busy with everything. I haven't read anything oh yeah, I recreationally. Know. <laughs>
0: but I was like, this is SpaghettiOs on, like, hard mode. <laughs> like... Yeah, like,
1: that's
2: way harder than open can. Dump can. Heat.
0: Yeah. So, all right, I'm just going to finish this off with a couple of ads. Just to you know, and and this on a an, an interesting note. There, this is a little. Even the ads are a little bit of a wild ride at the end here. So first, we have something that'll be familiar to the, us on the on this podcast: an ad for girls dial painting art experience. Unnecessary highest wages hours eight thirty to four thirty. Radium Dial Company.
1: For yeah. anyone that does not know what that is, please, please, please go listen to the Radium Girls episode. And you will know why all of us are crying inside right now. I've actually
2: not listened to that episode because I'm familiar with this. And I'm like, no, this, I can't listen to it. It,
0: Researching the case was rough going. I don't blame you at all. Yeah, Yeah. that was, that was, that was probably one of the rougher cases to research, I think, just because all the medical stuff really got to me. But also the writing in the book that I read was quite poignant.
1: Yeah. So, uh, anyone who has not listened to Radium Girls, please go listen to Radium Girls. It is, uh, a a very dark patch in our history, but one that I think needs to be heard. Yes. Yes.
0: Then there is uh, smallpox insurance being offered. Policy to pay some insured if the policyholder contracts smallpox within one year from date of issue. And once again, we have Lloyd's of London popping up here, offering smallpox insurance limited to $25,000 to any one person. And then I have finally This is my last one, and it's my last one for a reason. Is your husband a grouch? Is the question that leads us into this advertisement. Yes. Yes, okay then. I have something for you. Keen competition these strenuous days often makes the best of husbands a grouch, and difficult it is for wifey to please him, however hard she may try. Concentration on business affairs and lack of physical exercise result in an excess of blood in the head, and friend-husband comes home at odds with the world. That's why blowjobs are necessary. It removes all that blood from the head. No, we don't We don't need that. All we need is partola, okay? Try giving him partola, the doctor in candy form, a combination of tasteless laxative and internal
1: antiseptic. What? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> time out, time out. So is a laxative... Is your husband an asshole? <laughs> Feed him these laxatives. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's that is, basically it. I love it. I Par- love it. Partola
0: relieves excessive blood pressure. It keeps the stomach in order, the liver clean, the irritated brain soothe, and the intestines free from germs and poisonous accumulations, thus relieving constipation and guarding against indigestion. I feel like this is the male version of Lysol. Yeah. Two partola lozenges, crushed and put in husband's tea or coffee at night, will make him a new man in the morning. Tasteless, he won't notice it. So, drug your husband with
2: oh laxatives. My God.
0: I could not find the ingredients. You might be able. to. I, 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 well, the only looking, thing that
1: is. But plain. I did find
0: that, that you can buy an old tin on eBay. Yes, I did see that. I did see that, but I wasn't able to find. Sometimes you can find the ingredients of old snake oil remedies. They have like a, a study of them, but not all. In of them.
1: my head, this is this still exists, and I just keep picturing the Kmart ad with the old man that goes, "I just shipped my bed." <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that was my final ad because I think drugging your husband with laxatives
1: was just a great note to end it on. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that could
2: be a T-shirt: drugging your husband with laxatives.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just drugging your husband in general, I think, would be good enough. <laughs> <laughs> and a little too on brand for some of the
0: topics on this podcast.
1: So, Aqua Tofana is still one
0: of my favorites. Oh yeah, yeah, Aqua Tofana. She she was she she had quite the business
1: going. For her, didn't she? I think we could bring it back.
0: So um, I would really like it, our our, our wonderful listeners, if you want to find your way into the old newspapers and look at recipes and see if you can gross us out after all this time that our gag reflexes have been reinforced. I don't have a gag <laughs> reflex. That's true, yeah. Uh, <laughs> by the disgusting rep- recipes that we have read Uh, to ourselves, and to each other, uh, email them to us at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. I will have some links to some of the free newspaper resources in the show notes, and I'll put them up on social media as well, so that you can enjoy uh, just finding that. And my my advice would be 1890-ish to 1950-ish Although if you really want some of the Jello stuff, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, we'll take the weirdest gelatin combinations. Although beating Amber on some of her gelatin combinations, you've got a challenge ahead of you.
1: I'd eat almost all of them, really.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if you want to find some gross old recipes and send them to us, um, we will read them on the air. We will give you a shout out. And then I think maybe at the end of a, a couple of months, we'll put everybody's names in a, in a hat that has sent us old recipes. And uh, pull out a, a name and send somebody some merch. Some Old Timey Crimey merch. That's awesome. awesome. So I think that's what we're going to do. And I think, the, I think an apron would be
2: in order. A I treacherous think you're right.
0: tart. A treacherous tart <laughs> apron is perfect for this. Yes, you're right about that. And uh, probably like a sticker or something. It won't be just the apron. So uh, so yeah, that is uh, going to be our little game. So make sure you email them to oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Do not put them on the social media because then you spoil it for everyone. And spoil our fun in trying to gross each other out. Or really, since I'm the email, my fun in trying to gross Amber out, and we'll bring Jackson in, and we'll probably have Joel back some more, and you know, the 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 regular characters on the show. I'm gonna Let's make get up weird. all sorts Let's of fake weird. email
2: addresses and just start bombarding you. <laughs>
0: Damn it! I didn't even think about the fact that people can do that. <laughs> Thanks, Joel, for putting that idea out there. Also, subscribe your friends on all their cell phones whenever <laughs> they leave them unattended. He does that too, but we don't tell him to. He, that's that's all him. But I tell um, you to. <laughs> yes, you tell us to, and you tell you tell our listeners. To. Oh yeah, I was pointing
2: at the microphone. Oh, okay, that's who
0: you is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I do that sometimes too. So yeah, uh, send us your old timey recipes, and uh, you can do the California Digital Newspaper Collection. Uh, Newspapers.com has some available without a subscription, but not all, Uh, there's a Colorado one. Like I said, I'll put links for a bunch of them that I know of in the,
1: I use, In the like, show notes. chronicling America. Chronicling
0: America, yes. The Library of Congress has that project. That that's where. That's essentially where we started with the old newspapers. That was. Uh, that was us breaking our old newspaper cherry right there.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. So on the bottom of your notes, I, it says send recipes, and I really read send nudes at first, and I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> send nudes. Oh, that's not what we're All doing. All right.
2: I mean, I have the email address.
1: <laughs> I really want somebody to send me nudes where they're just like pretending to be a Jello mold.
0: Or they have recipe like, cards just covering the important bits.
1: Like lettuce, lettuce.
0: Oh, no, I like your ideas much more. It's Mayonnaise. Very, it's very oh. Mayonnaise is everywhere. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> On that note, um, yeah, social media Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are old, semi crummy. These gross, disgusting people that I love are still laughing. Uh,
1: do you remember the banana salad?
0: <laughs> I saw
2: banana candles when I was looking up yes, recipes.
1: Yes, the banana candle with the cherry on the top.
2: And some sort of glaze dripping down it.
0: Yep. So I think a banana is going to factor into uh, these 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 recipe nudes that are going to end up being sent to me. Neither of you make up any new email addresses over the next several weeks. I forbid you.
1: Just I already have so email. many you don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, I'm dying now.
0: Don't forget, um, merch we have, uh, they're no longer on sale, but we still have the treacherous tart merch that is up in three different color combos and uh, our logo and all that fun stuff that you can get in all kinds of different items. And I honestly, this has been, you you guys really threw me off my game trying to figure out what I'm saying at the end here. Um, so uh, nice. oh, tell your friends. There you go. Tell your friends, rate us on, I said that kind of aggressively. Tell your friends, please. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> That's a we'll bad. find you. <laughs> tell your friends, put us on their phones. So tell your friends about us. It really helps us out. Review us, uh, rate and review over on iTunes. You can you can rate us on Spotify, and we thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has rated in the past few weeks, month or so. We've seen it going up. They're now looking at a picture of the uh, banana candle, and that is right after I said we've seen it going up. So that was perfect timing. Um and uh, (laughs) my brain has gone totally blank. Rate and review, tell your friends, what are we doing this week, guys? <laughs> Giggling. <laughs> Same. Same. Same.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to keep researching Millerism. I got way too deep into it for a tiny.
0: Yeah, Millerism can be kind of a big topic. Uh, I so... got
2: way too deep into it.
0: Oh, that's... Jesus. Maybe it might be something we need to do as a regular episode
1: of full yeah. length. Yeah.
0: so.
2: I became obsessed.
1: Oh, <laughs> I had I, a feeling. I have real tears coming out of my eyes. <laughs> I'm laughing about
0: the banana candle salad. All right. So this week we are going to be spend laughing about <laughs> banana candle salad and reading about cults in Joel's case. So uh, thank you so much for listening. And goodness me, it's hard to pick a don't. Uh, don't make a salad out of a banana and a cherry or do, you know. what? <sighs> do, but post pictures. <laughs> Who am I to kink shame? So... All right, uh, thank you for listening, as always, and we will see you next week. Uh,
1: bye. Bye.
0: Bye. I want to hit my button, but I erased all my buttons somehow. No buttons no for you.
1: Buttons.